How do you make your plans when you have been called on to give a speech? Some of you would reply and say, well, I would just say no. I'm not going to give a speech to anybody. How do you craft your communication to others? Do you default to moving right to the exhortation, the persuasive parts? In our marriage conversations, we can be quick to move right to the, the persuasive parts, right? We can say something like, don't forget to take the car for the oil change, or I'd really appreciate it if you would please work on changing X, Y, or Z. We give speeches as parents, right? We wax eloquent about obedience being so important, and you need to submit to authority, and can you not see that? And we fill in the blank. And our kids are thinking, wow, what a blessing this speech is. Or at our workplace, we exhort the team toward a goal, necessary changes. And, and often in that communication, we kind of jump right to the, hey, this is what we, re what we really need. Paul does otherwise in his epistle to the Romans. Paul gives us a significant exhortation in Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. Only it comes after five and a half chapters of no imperatives. This is the first imperative he gives to the church at Rome. He sets it all up. He lays a logically sound and theologically accurate foundation before he exhorts the church towards specific personal responsibilities. So if you haven't done so yet, would you please open your copy of the scriptures to Romans chapter 6. And if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 794. Paul gives us 16 chapters to focus on the undeserved, unmatched, and unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We're dividing our series down into six different divisions, and we're right there in that third one, the assurance of the gospel, and we've, which is in chapters 5 through chapters 8. And we talked about how we are assured of the gospel message because we have peace with God, because we have access to God, we have joy in God even through times of suffering, we have a love from God. God demonstrated. He commended his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's gospel assurance, brothers and sisters. In chapter 5, we also see that we are represented before God. First, we were represented by the first Adam who failed miserably. We followed suit. Then by God's grace, he sends another representative, his own son, Jesus. And we're perfectly, successfully represented before God by Jesus Christ. Here, in verses 11 through 14, we learn that assurance comes as we are actively alive to God. So chapter 6 is all about being alive to God, dead to sin, and alive to God. And specifically in verses 11 through 14, we're going to see that our assurance in the gospel comes as we are actively alive to God. In other words, being alive to God does not mean we are spectators. God hasn't God hasn't saved us to kind of sit on the bench. God hasn't saved us to, to be a spectator. God has called us to something. God has brought us back to life from the dead, spiritually dead. Now we're alive again in Christ Jesus, and God has called us to do something. Please follow along as I read from God's Word, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in this newness of life. For if we've been planted or united together in the likeness of his death, we shall certainly be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Here's our text. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Christian, today you will hear Paul's call to you in regards to sin. Don't dismiss away Paul's call as being old hat. I already know that. It's not applicable to me. Don't make that mistake. This is God's call to your current situation. And if you fail to take it seriously, you may not even be a Christian to begin with. If you don't claim to be a Christian, if you are not a Christ follower, you've never placed your faith in Jesus and his work for you, our text talks about being brought from, from death to life. You should know that if you're not in Christ, you're spiritually dead right now. But you should also know that life can be found in Jesus Christ. Christian, being alive to God is both a current and a complete or a whole situation. It's active, it's current, and it's whole. It involves all of us, mentally, physically, spiritually. So let's observe the mental, the physical, and the spiritual parts to Paul's exhortation. We begin with the mental reckoning of being actively alive to God. Again, verse number 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's kind of a conclusion from the previous verses. He, he uses that word likewise, or maybe your translation says so. He's drawing from the, the previous verses, the first time in, in five and a half chapters that Paul is asking his readers really to do something, to respond. This is a mental response that Paul is exhorting the church at Rome toward. He's asking them to make a mental calculation. We see that in the word reckon. reckon. He says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves. This Greek word for reckon is used 19 times in Romans. So it's important. It's a term used to help evaluate an object's worth. It comes through in our English words like logistics and logarithm. 
It's also a term that refers to reasoning. It refers to logic. Maybe you, you've been around a good old southern boy, and he's, he's listening carefully to his wife explain the details of the day and how the schedule's going to go, and he kind of sits back, and he's hearing about all these things that, make, that are going to take place throughout the day, and he responds, and he says, well, I reckon I need to eat some biscuits and gravy to give myself energy for the day to get all these things done. He's calculated his situation and made a mental decision based on the information that has been presented to him. The word is also a mathematical term. Maybe you, going through school, you had somebody that was really gifted in your class. Well, if you take the square root of 49 and multiply that by the hypotenuse of the isosceles triangle, then add that to the products of the sum of the original perimeter, you'll get the answer. Anybody have somebody like that in your class? How many of you were that person in your class? Dutch. That person is calculating, right? Making a mental decision that, that is based on the information presented. Responding to something that has already happened. That's what Paul's calling us to do. He's calling us to respond to something that's already happened. Paul is calling us to make a mental calculation because we are dead to sin and we are alive to God. We should count ourselves. We should consider ourselves. We should calculate that we are dead to sin. Beloved of Harvest Bible Church, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to hear that we are dead to sin and alive to God unless we also consider it to be true, that we count it as accurate of us. We should remind ourselves that Paul has already made clear to us, right? right? We read it in verse 6, that our old man has already been crucified with Christ. So he's differentiating right here. This is not a call to put to death the old man. Rather, the call here is to consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Christian, do you count? Do you consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God? The very first imperative that Paul gives to the Romans is that they consider themselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. The first imperative in here in the book. He's reserving that spot because of, because of its importance. And why is it so important? Because we forget. We forget that we are dead to sin and alive to God. That's one of the reasons that the first Sunday of each month, we come to the Lord's table. God knew that we would be forgetful people. So he, 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 he instituted this, this practice, this, this time at the table, where we are specifically called to remember that our old man, what we were in Adam, has been crucified with Christ, and that we are now alive because of what Christ did for us at the cross. As your pastor, I want to specifically encourage you to prioritize especially that opportunity that we have as a church to share in a time of remembrance when we have communion on the first Sunday of each month. God made us alive to him. It's God's work. It's not our work. He initiated it, and so here we are responding to it. We are to mentally count ourselves dead and then made alive. So I ask you, do you really understand that you are dead to sin and alive to God? Is that how you consider yourself? Christian, one of the very first steps, maybe even the, the very first step 
of your sanctification, your growth in godliness, is to count legitimate the reality that you are dead to sin and alive to God. Parents, maybe you have young children who have professed Christ as Savior. They have, they have recognized they're, they're a sinner and they need Jesus. We like to point our kids to memorizing Ephesians 6.1 really early, don't we? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. But I want to encourage you, the mental reckoning of oneself as being dead to sin is a super important principle to teach your kids. Now, it takes a little bit of, of it takes longer explanations and simpler words, and, and when word pictures will be helpful, but teach them that if they're in Christ, they are dead to sin. God has changed your representative from Adam to Jesus, and that f- fact must be believed actively or continually. It's a present tense verb. Keep on counting yourself dead to sin. So when temptation comes your way, consider. When temptation comes your way, count legitimate the truth, the reality that you are dead to sin and alive to God. We can be confident. We can be confident in the middle of a temptation that we can indeed resist that temptation in Christ's power. 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation, he will also provide a way to escape that you may be able to endure it. Make the mental calculation that you are dead to sin. This doesn't mean you're immune to sin. This does not mean that sin has been removed from your life forever. But it does mean that you are dead to sin. You have the option to obey. Take the action step. Make the mental reckoning, the mental calculation. Consider, count yourself being dead to sin. Now before we go on to the second part of of Paul's exhortation, I want to to add one disclaimer. Don't count yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God if you're not. Not all human beings are alive to God. Some are still dead in sin. So if you have not turned from sin and placed your faith in what Jesus did for you at the cross, acknowledging that Christ's work at the cross, his crucifixion, uh, satisfied God's anger for your sin, if you're not trusting in Jesus to do that for you, then you remain dead in your sins. You are not alive to God. If that is your situation, I invite you even right now to trust in Jesus, to turn away from from your sin, your sinful ways, and to place your trust in Jesus. And if I can explain what that means further, I'd be glad to meet with you after the service or sometime this week to show you from God's word what it means to be born again. Being alive to God is both a current and a complete situation. It's active and it's whole. There is a mental reckoning of being actively alive to God. Paul now goes on to another part of our being. He exhorts us about the physical responsibility of being actively alive to God. Sometimes we ask ourselves, if my old man really has died, if what I was in Adam really has been crucified with Christ, why does sin still seem to rock my world. Have you ever had that conversation with yourself? 
or with God in prayer? Why is sin still such a horrible factor in my day-to-day life? I thought I was freed from sin. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in its lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members, parts of your body, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. More imperatives. Here in verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Don't do this. Don't do this. Instead, do this and do this. It's important for us to obey these imperatives. It's important for us to practice what Paul is is giving us as commands. But it's also important before we do that to understand the motive for these physical responsibilities. We aren't doing this. He hasn't given, given us these imperatives in order to crucify the old man. What we, are, what we were in Adam is already dead. Rather, we are responding to a reality. We are responding to the truth that our old man was crucified with Christ. So Paul is saying, because your old man was crucified with Christ, don't let sin reign in your body. Let's take a closer, a closer look. First he says, don't let sin rule. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. The old man is crucified, however, sin is not dead. We fight against sin because we are sinners. The contamination of sin remains. Because sin is so close, we sometimes find it hard to believe that we, are, that we have a new nature, really a divine nature. One commentator refers to sin as a, as a dethroned but still powerful monarch who was determined to reign in a believer's life. So Paul says, don't let that dethroned monarch reign. Don't obey its passions. Peter said, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war on your soul. Don't let sin rule. Second imperative, don't offer your body to sin. Sin's means of grasping at Christians comes via the physical body. Sin can rule in our bodies. The Christian's warfare with sin is waged in our physical body very often. So the message of the gospel calls Christians to a humble defiance of sin's claim to reign in our physical bodies. Don't keep making the parts of your body available for unrighteousness. Then thirdly, Paul says, present yourself to God as someone who has been brought from death to life. Now, you'd think that somebody who was dead but is now alive, at this point, you would think they would remember that. Offer yourself as an available tool for God's use. Surrender to God's service. Young person, have you offered yourself to God? Have you said, God, here I am. Use me however you see fit, my future spouse or being single, a career or the mission field, staying local or going distant, whatever you want, Lord, here I am, use me. Golden Age Harvesters, did you know that the mission field could really use some seasoned Christians to live out their faith in a local church setting? 
present yourself to God. And fourthly, Paul says, present your body to God. It's possible for sin not to rule in our bodies as we offer them to God. See, he, he says in chapter 12, we'll get there later, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, your way of spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is where we are called to think about the specific parts of our physical makeup. These members are to be offered to God as instruments of righteousness. So let's take a few moments to do that. Our brain is a part of our body. You can offer that to God as an instrument of righteousness. Philippians chapter 4, Paul told the church at Philippi, Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, honorable, just, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You can fill your mind with Scripture by memorizing the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you from experience that Scripture memory will change, absolutely change, your walk with God. You begin to think God's thoughts. Our eyes and our ears can be used as instruments for righteousness or for evil. Achan's eyes were an instrument for unrighteousness and it wreaked havoc in his life and the life of Israel. What you allow your eyes to see and your ears to hear makes a big difference. I'm reminded of that children's song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Christian, what do you allow your eyes to see and your ears to hear? Some of the commercials that are playing on YouTube before we get to watch the video that we're there to watch, some of them are hilarious. Some of them are blasphemous. What do you allow your eyes to see and your ears to hear? There's a great product available for internet usage. It's called Covenant Eyes. You install it on a device, and it can block content or notify your accountability partner about junk that comes up on your computer. It's a great tool. You say, Pastor Walters, I'm a mature Christian. I think I'm kind of past all that kind of thing. King David was a man after God's own heart, and he wasn't past that kind of thing. Young person especially, ask your parents for an internet filter. I have it on mine. I recommend it. You have it on yours. Offer your eyes and your ears as instruments to God for righteousness. Our mouth is a part of our body. The tongue is a small member, James tells us, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Taking God's name in vain, maybe you don't even realize you're doing it. Gossip, under the guise of a prayer request, Gluttony, overeating to the point of not taking care of your body. Verbal abuse, yelling at others, degrading them. Or alcohol, I would issue the same warning that Scripture issues, do not be drunk. I highly recommend abstaining. Have you offered your mouth to God as an instrument for righteousness? Or your hands and your feet Paul told the church at Ephesus, let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that, he might, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. How do you use your hands? 
Domestic abuse is prevalent in our world, but never appropriate. Christian, you have no business raising a hand in anger against a family member. Or how about your fingers? What we type with our fingers online, in an email, in a text, should reflect the reality that our fingers have been offered to God as instruments for righteousness. Where do your feet take you? There are some places that a Christian should never go, period. It would be crazy not to mention our sexuality. God created every human being as a male or as a female. That cannot be changed, nor should one attempt to do so. God has created males and females as heterosexuals that are to live out their sexuality within the confines of a monogamous marriage relationship. That is God's plan. Any sexual activity outside of that is a failure to offer your body to God as an instrument for righteousness. Christian, the members of our bodies, our brains, our eyes and ears, our voice, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our sexuality are to be offered to God as instruments for righteousness. Don't Tolerate sin in your body. Teenager, don't allow sin to be worked out in your body. Adults, don't put up with sin through your body. Don't allow sin to take up its residence in your heart. Christian, run from sin. Fight sin. Flee sin. Our bodies can be used for sin or for righteousness. I've taken quite a bit of time this morning to delineate how our bodies can be involved in sinful activity. But the Apostle Paul doesn't only give the negative side. His exhortation comes and he says, offer your bodies, offer the members of your bodies as instruments for righteousness. So what might that look like? Yesterday, some ladies from HBC gathered to work for a local mission agency, using their hands and their, their bodies to be able to put things together to send to a mission field. HBCers sit out front here of our, of, our, of our building along the road on Saturday mornings in recent months, and they hand out cold water to joggers and other passerbyers. Medical staff at Highland Family Practice sent us a thank you note this week for the goodie bags that Connection Groups brought to them last month. They used their hands and their abilities to make goodie bags for others. Chuck Taft will use his brain to recite Ecclesiastes in our July 18th service. Andy Steiner and Maggie Labarge working dozens of hours to help a widow prepare and sell a home. The Farmers and the Hodges and the Johnsons and others being physically present for a Zoom prayer meeting for the Real Malayu People Group in Indonesia. They are present week after week after week. Golden Age Harvesters who use their hands to prepare the elements for our communion celebrations. There are thousands, millions of ways to use your body as instruments for righteousness. The Apostle Paul says, here are the physical responsibilities of being actively alive to God. Don't let sin rule. Don't offer your body to sin. Instead, offer yourself to God. Offer your body to God. So I ask you, Christian, do you offer the members of your body as instruments to God for righteousness? That's your homework assignment for this week. 
If you are a single person, if you're a married person with no kids at home or married with kids at home, grandparents, teens, whoever you are, all of you have a single challenge. It's a two-pronged discussion that you should have with someone this week. First, how have I been allowing members of my body to be used for unrighteousness? This is a time for appropriate confession, right? You're acknowledging to yourself and to a family member or to a friend, how have I been allowing the members of my body, my physical makeup, to be acting on sin, to be used for unrighteousness? Second prong of the conversation, how can I offer the members of my body to God as instruments for righteousness? And this is a time for appropriate planning. Hey, friend, hey, mom, hey, son, whatever. I want to plan towards using myself as an instrument of righteousness. I want to give myself to God as an instrument for righteousness. There is a mental reckoning to count oneself alive to God. There are physical responsibilities of being actively alive to God. And thirdly, Paul concludes this section by giving the spiritual reality of being actively alive to God. Look at verse 14 one more time. For sin shall have no dominion over you, for you were not under the law, but under grace. Why do we consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God? Why do we take seriously these physical responsibilities of, of, of not allowing sin to rule in our body, but use, using our body as, as an instrument for righteousness? You see the mental reckoning and the physical responsibilities? These are ways to respond to what the reality already is. So this third point is not a response. This third point is the reality. Point one and point two are responses to this reality that Paul has already taught us. Why does Paul call us to actively respond mentally and physically to being alive to God? Precisely because of the spiritual reality that sin will have no dominion over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So hold on. Here comes the assurance of the gospel. Sin does not have dominion over you, brother and sister. Sin does not have dominion over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. The law's tyranny has ended with the death of Jesus Christ. So friend, you don't have to keep the law to be in a right standing with God. Jesus did that for you. Christian, you no longer are under the, the condemnation of God's law. Instead, you are under the, the redeeming power of God's grace. So the actions that we've already talked about this morning of, of mentally computing, of mentally counting ourselves as being alive to God, that action, uh, that action of, of our physical responsibilities with members of our body, those are not accomplished we don't pursue those in order to get God to love us more, in order to get God to be in good favor with us or in a good mood with us. Paul's not teaching legalism here. Rather, we remain and we pursue sexual purity. We offer our bodies as instruments for righteousness precisely because sin has no more dominion over us. Christian, take hope in the reality that you are not under the law, but under grace. Respond to the assurance of the gospel message of being dead to sin and alive to God. 
Respond with continual consideration of your standing and with a body that is surrendered to God. Friends, your nation needs Christians who are refusing to tolerate sin being played out through their body. Your church needs families who are regularly and continually considering, counting themselves to be dead to sin. Your family needs individuals who live with the assurance that sin has no more dominion over them. May God help us, the people of Harvest Bible Church, to actively live within the spiritual reality that we are dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray.